welcome to another amazing episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Jeremy Gregory. Hey guys. And uh, Billy will not be here this week. We didn't want to delay recording any longer, so uh, he, he will miss out on this one. He'll be back for the next episode, hopefully. He got a lot of stuff going on at his job. But that's okay, because we're going to talk about a game that was a, a PlayStation game. It's on the PlayStation Mini, uh, Siphon Filter. But before we get to Siphon Filter, Jeremy, what have you been playing since our last show? I think we've both been playing a lot of Psychonauts 2. And, uh, man, it's real good. <laughs> it is super good. We covered Psychonauts a, a while ago, maybe a couple years ago. And, uh, you know, Psychonauts, the original Psychonauts was a game that when it came out, I was kind of like, yeah, this looks like it's one of those games that's going to try too hard, and I'm not going to enjoy it. But then I actually played it, and it was one of the, the best games I had ever played on Xbox. So I was like, I, I, you know, this sequel was coming out for a long time, and I, I don't know why I was under the assumption that it was only coming for the new Xbox, which also I have to say, I, I don't remember what the new Xbox is called. Is it the Xbox Series X, or is it something else? Uh, Series X and Series S. Okay, so it's I was I was halfway, halfway right. I thought it was only coming for that, which I have neither of those systems. So I was like, oh, I guess I'll miss out on Psychonauts. And everyone on Discord was like, hey, dummy, it's on the PS4. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> so yeah, I immediately yeah. downloaded it, and it's been uh, it has been a complete treat. Yeah, I you know you're talking about the old one where you thought it was going to try too hard and and all that stuff, and I thought the exact thing about this one because it's been in development forever. It seems like. I, maybe like what four years or something, which I, I guess isn't too long these days. But it's just you would hear about it once every year, and it's like, oh yeah, they're still making that game. I hope it's not a pile of shit, or at least it's just average. You know, something that I can get a little bit of nostalgia from and play as Raz again, uh, and see all those characters that I love. And it turns out I didn't have to worry about that at all. It's really, really good. I don't know if I mentioned um, I, I actually finished the new Ratchet and Clank. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I, I really like that game, but, you know, there's just, it, it, there's something kind of just missing in the uh, story department in that game for me. It's very much just kind of, uh, you know, under nine, let's say, uh, plot level on that game, <laughs> or most Ratchet and Clank games, you know, it's it's made mostly for kids with a few adult, uh, you know, jokes thrown in there. But Psychonauts, I instantly, I, I love the look of it. I love the story. I love the characters. Uh, it's just, it's like stepping right into a sequel from a game that was made, what, like, how long, 15 years ago? Yeah, or 2005. Or so. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's just amazing how how much like it was and just coming into 2021. It's it's just another game like that, but just with all the nice nice trappings of something that would be released in, in 2021. Did you play the Rhombus of Ruin they put out, I guess, for PSVR in between? No, I, I didn't. I, I never really played that many v PSVR games. I, I think after the the effect of, you know, being like, hey, you know, VR is pretty all right. I just put it in my closet. So, But that was when that did come out. I was like, ah, you know, that might be worth dragging it out to play. But, you know, with PSVR, you've got a whole other box. you got cables everywhere. I, I just never brought it back out. Well, th this game takes place after the events of the first game, and then that Rhombus of Ruin, I guess, is like right after the first game, even though it came out, I guess, a handful of years ago also. And so this game, the storyline continues from there, but it doesn't require that you know anything. It kind of summarizes the end of that game for you at the beginning of this game, it, and then you start over, uh, you know, you start this game kind of, you know, my complaints with the first game, which were very minimal, is that it, it feels like it takes you forever to get powers in the first game like you get one in the first level and then you get one in the second level and you get one in the third level and like each of those levels teaches you how to use that new power this game 
thankfully does not do that again. Instead, in the very first mission that you're doing that's like in in someone's mind, you get back five or four or five powers. And then you learn a new one, you know, sporadically. But it's not every level has a new power that you have to learn. And then eventually, you know, like in the first game, you learn your powers and they're like, oh, I have three levels left and the game's over. This doesn't do that. This game starts you out after the first level, which is, you know, a training level that, that at least has some meat to it and introduces you to the story. You're right in there. You're right where you left off the first game at. And I'm, I'm loving that. I, it's, I think my really only big complaint with the game is constantly switching back and forth between all of those powers because you, you basically have your uh, top buttons and your triggers to map four powers to, and I'm not sure what it maxes out to, but you know, I've already got like six, and you kind of need to switch back and forth with those a lot while you're playing, so I think that's like my least favorite thing is, you know, oh, I need this now, let me uh, hold the up button so I can assign it to the R bumper. And then I just got rid of something that I'm going to need that's just right over there. And uh, it's that's really the only kind of downer to it. Besides, like, it's still, still kind of got that weird, like, I just can't quite tell how far I'm jumping in this game. And I don't know why. It plays very well. It might just be me. But I'm still, like, almost, like, overshooting or undershooting just about every jump that, that I really need to get to. Uh, I I don't know if you have that problem or not, but that's... That's really the only thing that uh, it'll, it'll catch me once in a while. I'll just miss a jump. Be like, oh, shit. It, it's got a lot of platforming in it. I mean, this is, this is definitely more of a 3D platformer than a 3D action game, although there is a ton of action. Um, but, it, but I have had a lot of times where I've missed jumps, especially some of the later levels. The camera's not a problem because you can pretty much move the camera anywhere you want it to go. So as long as I take my time, I haven't had a lot of problems if I can do jumps straight on. But when I'm trying to go fast through an area, I, I do miss a lot of jumps in it. But, uh, you know... I still think the control is is everything is refined from that original Psychonauts. It's it's a faster oh, yeah. game. It because it, it gives you your powers earlier. The levels are far more inventive. Like in the first game, I I almost hate talking about like getting the specifics for this game because I've I intentionally read nothing about it. So I wanted to go in and be surprised, and I have been. I have been very surprised uh, with with the whole game. The the way they've taken the powers and made made the mechanics work in such a way that every level is different. It's not just a whole bunch of platforming collectathons, which the first game did a good job with that too, but there were still a bunch of levels that were kind of just platforming collectathons. So far in this, outside of the first couple levels that introduce you to the games, a lot of the later levels get very inventive with what you can do. Without, without spoiling it, there's a level in a bowling alley. I don't know if you've gotten there yet, but that it's excellent. It's, out, it's superb in <laughs> what it does with powers you've already had this whole time that kind of tweaks them a little bit for this whole level. And it's been... It's, I'm not done with it yet, so perhaps by the time I'm, I'm finished with it, I'll have a different opinion. But right now, and I know that I'm not in any way anyone's target audience for anything, but um, right now it's my favorite new game of 2021, of what I've played. And I say that after I spent over 150 hours playing Monster Hunter Rise, and I played Ease 9 all the way through at the very start of the year. And that was another excellent game. But this one, it's just hitting every button for me, where I'm, I'm not getting bored with it. In fact, to play the game we're going to talk about today and then to record this episode, all I'm thinking about is getting back <laughs> to Psychonauts 2. <laughs> I, I was actually going to ask, uh, I'm, I'm not too far. I think I'm in like the, uh, the second main uh, stage or whatever. I just beat the, uh, uh, the one, the casino level. I okay. Guess. Yep. Do they use the thought balloon stuff as much as they did in that level throughout the rest of the game that you've played? Not to that level. That that was the new power, uh, one of the first new powers in the game that's completely new to this game, and uh, and they do have that pretty heavy in that level. It is in the other levels, but a lot of the time it's either used to get to some optional things or 
uh, it's a small level where you can kind of see like, okay, I, I need to use that power to go here. I need to use this power to go somewhere else. It, it'll make sense when you get to those levels. I don't think after that first level that it gets that that uh, overwhelming. Okay, they they really leaned. I know they they had just introduced it, but they really leaned hard on that in that first level, and it kept just coming up over and over. I was like, oh, yeah, come on, come on, I get it. But you know, if they're not going to use it that much in in the other levels, then that's fine. No, oh, but, oh, you yeah. mean literally the mechanic in that level where you have to like match things together? Yeah, where you're matching the thought bubbles together to be like, uh, you know, she's uh, got a gambling problem, so it comes up with all these thought balloons that has different words in them. So you, what you basically, it's like a little puzzle uh, to change her mind from how she is. You have to connect the bubbles. Uh, you know, say like she's really into gambling; she can't stop gambling. So you'll see two thought bubbles that has moderation and uh, gambling or something like that. So you need to connect those in a way that will actually change her mind so that she will see for herself that she needs to, like, you know, moderate her gambling so she's not doing it as much. Yeah. Uh, that, yes, that's what we're talking about when we say thought balloons. Okay, yeah, I thought you just meant using that, that to trans, you know, to move yourself places from, from cloud to cloud sort of thing. Uh, I, I like that. that. That's pretty cool. That, that's in most of the other levels. There's nothing else that I found so far that does what you're talking about. However, again, not finished with the game, and it wouldn't surprise me if that mechanic does make a, a return at some point, but we will see. Um, but you know what? We've said a lot about a game we're not going to talk about for the rest of this episode, but Psychonauts 2 is excellent. And, uh, and if you like the first one at all, I can't imagine not liking this one. And we'll get more in-depth on Psychonauts 2 when we do an episode on it in 15 years. But until then, we have other games to talk about, like the one we're going to talk about today, Siphon Filter for the PlayStation. Psychonauts 2 some more. <laughs> we, we could, but I think uh, that's not what this podcast is about. And you're the one who picked Siphon Filter. So I was going to right. ask you, why is this a game you picked? You know, uh, of all the games that we have picked for this podcast or played where we were like, maybe it's best that we just leave this one in the past. Uh, this one for me is, uh, I, I, we, should, I should have just left this one in the past. We, we were kind of going over some games to play uh, to fill in the holes between like patron uh, requests and things like that. And I, I saw Siphon Filter. I was like, man, I really enjoyed those games as, as a kid back on PlayStation. I love Siphon Filter 1. I played Siphon Filter 2 and 3. But I, I remember having a lot of fun with those games. They were kind of like Metal Gear Lite in a way. You know, if Metal Gear was too too adult and too hard to play with all of its crazy stealth action. You just go by Siphon Filter and you run around and you shoot people with your, with your taser and shit like that. And I had a lot of fun with it. And I thought it would be a, a good time to really come back to it because I literally have not played it since then. Uh, and we should have not have played this game now. Well, uh, the, uh, speaking of just games that have not aged well on the PlayStation and have not aged well in any way beyond just being janky on a PlayStation... I think Siphon Filter is, is going to be the top of my list. Well, I had literally played maybe, maybe five minutes of any of the Siphon Filters before this episode. Uh, when it came out new, I was still working at, uh, at the Electronics Boutique. And when this showed up, it was kind of pushed a little bit. And so I, I worked in the mornings, so there was never anyone there in the morning, especially during the week uh, when it wasn't like Christmas time. That's a, that's a ghost town. And therefore, I loved it because I could come in in the morning 
do do whatever I need to do to get the store open. And then it was like, wait for someone to maybe come in at lunchtime. So for the first two hours of the day, after you do whatever inventory or whatever you're supposed to do, I would just pop in whatever the new things were because we would we would have the sample copies and, and, uh, and empty box copies for the wall. And I would just try them out because if someone said, hey, what's Siphon Filter like? I at least like to be able to tell them. Other than what I read in a magazine, I'd like a little hands-on experience. And all I remembered about Siphon Filter was, man, this game is green and the, 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 the taser. The, the, the tasers, all I remember about the game is that you, can, you have a taser that you get from the very beginning, and if you use it on guys long enough, they burst into flames. And I thought that was hilarious, but then I put the game away, and I never went back to it, because in the same way that when the first Silent Hill came out, right, I did the same thing. I put it in the system, I turned it on, and I was like, okay, this is like Resident Evil a lot, but totally, you know, instead of being this the weird camera angles of Resident Evil, now you're, you're a little more open. It's a little ugly. I'll eventually play this again, and I never did until, you know, years later when we covered it on this show, when I, when I finally played through the original Siphon Filter, or the original Silent Hill and Silent Hill 2. But this game, on the other hand, uh, I thought, man, this is like Metal Gear's dumber brother. You said it's a lot like a simpler Metal Gear, which is right, but I think it's, it's not simpler in a, in, a, in a positive way, I think. Like, a lot of what Metal Gear did at the time did age really well. When we covered the original Metal Gear Solid, I think it still holds up. There's a, the, the graphics still look really good, even though it has those fixed camera angles in a lot of parts and that top-down view that's very limiting. This game instead has the behind-your-character third-person view for the whole game, like a Tomb Raider. And I think that makes this, at first, when you first pick it up, a simpler game to play. But it also makes it so that... Like, I just felt like for most of this game... I was just wandering around blindly firing and hoping that I was going to hit my target. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it didn't control nearly as well as, as a Metal Gear. It, it just didn't click with me like that. And, and there's a lot of the time where I feel like, man, I'm, I wish I would have played this sooner because I, I would have much better opinions about it. And I think in this case, I think if I would have played this when it was new and I would have bought it, maybe I'd like it a lot more than I do right now because I do not think this has aged extremely well, and we're, we're going to get into specifics on that. But I'm, I guess I'm kind of glad you agree that it hasn't aged as well. I, I don't think it's aged at all. I mean, it's, it's neat for what it was back in the day, and a lot of people, a lot of people really like or remember liking Siphon Filter. This was a, it, it sold very well, but... Playing it now, you know, just running around with uh, Dollar General Sam Fisher. It's, uh, he, he's got those wild legs on him, man. <laughs> Speaking of things <laughs> you remember about this game, when, when he runs around, I, he leans more than most drug addicts on my fucking street. Uh, he is just, <laughs> he's almost got like a, a fucking 75 degree lean whenever you turn him around a corner. You just you feel bad like he's just going to fall over or something. Uh, and just those legs are going all the time. But yeah, it's just, I, I, again, I loved this game as a kid. I don't think anyone should play it again at all if they, if they fondly remember this series because it's, it's definitely one of those games that did a number on me playing it now to where I was like, what was I, how, how were things back then where I was just like so entertained by this game because just about everything I tried to do in this game, whether it's moving, whether it's shooting, whether it's the godforsaken platforming that's in this game it's just i I don't think you could put jank to a a better source like this is this whole game is just jank from from beginning to end before we get into the specifics uh in general this game came out in 1999 for the sony playstation it was published by sony uh, 99 studios and developed by idectic studios now idectic had only done one playstation game before siphon filter do you know what that game is 
I do not. I have heard this before, but I cannot remember right now. Bubsy 3D. Yes, Bubsy 3D. So yes. one of the worst games on any console ever. And and it's someday we'll maybe do a bonus show on Bubsy 3. It's it is not good. But so Sony decided this was the publisher that was going to do their their 3D action game. I don't know if their goal was to kind of feed off that Metal Gear thing because Metal Gear came out the year before and was a huge smash. Metal Gear Solid. But this game got a year later, and you could tell that, at least to me, that they were really trying very hard to be that kind of game. Now, maybe that's not it. Maybe they were trying to be uh, something that's more like a um, a spec ops or something. I, I don't really know because I don't like most military shooters or things like this. But but this kind of hits that that balance that Metal Gear does, where it's got a story, it's got a game enough behind it that I don't mind. It's not just a realistic military shooter. There's some goofiness to it that I'm fine with. Um it's got a story that, again, if you like games like Metal Gear, it, it tries to do this like super espionage thing. You're, you're some sort of government agent, and you've been sent out to stop Siphon Filter, which is some sort of gas or, or disease. So you're supposed to go out, find these, these bombs of this gas, and also stop the group that's behind it. And that's how the very first level starts. This is the only level I'd played previously. Uh, you're outside in the city, and it's, it's not open world, but it's not as closed of a door. You know, it's not like... It's not room to room like a Resident Evil or something. This is definitely like an open area. The city is weirdly empty. I know that they probably would have realistically story-wise, if there's a bomb in an area, they'd probably try to evacuate the city. But literally, other than the guys that are part of the bomb squad with you and the guys that are the people that are planting the bomb that you're supposed to attack, there's nobody else out there. There's no, there's never any like random third-person characters. They're always someone directly involved with the story. Uh, and before, like, I just bury my head and start crying about this game for the rest of the podcast, I will say that I do enjoy the just the the variety of stages that this game has. I don't know how far you got, but, like, going throughout, you know, you start in the streets like this, but you end up in, like, places like a, an awesome museum that's got a, a cool-ass dinosaur exhibit in it. Uh, you're on a cathedral where you have to, like, platform your way in from, like, outside of the cathedral. Like, all of these were really large levels uh, for a PlayStation game. So it, it, there's a lot of impressive places that you go in this game. But yeah, there's I, I think there's they're mostly just empty. And a lot of them can be kind of just like, I gotta, you got to figure out where the hell you're even going to get through them with, with some of like the objectives that you have to do. But I, I do still think that the stages themselves are pretty cool. I like that the story progresses in such a way that the stages make sense to a certain degree. Like the first level you're outside in the city, you've, you found the, the a way into the subway where these bombs are supposed to be. So then the second level is in this subway and you're running through the subway trying to stop these bombs and whatever. And then the third level, uh, essentially there's a regular bomb mixed in with these gas bombs. The regular bomb goes off and now you have to escape the subway. Sorry. You have to escape the subway and, and get out while all of this on fire. And it changes the way the levels laid out, even though it's the same level you were just on. I mean, I like I like that. I like that it's not just, you know, one long, never-ending game. It has clear spots that... It, I don't know if they're even considered levels, but I consider them levels. This game has 20 different levels, which are essentially just where the game gives you the option to save to a memory card. There's lots of checkpoints in each level, but each at the end of each level, is the only time you can save to your progress to start for next time. So there's 20 levels in the game if you use that as the definition of a level, but the levels are broken out into, like, levels 1 through 5 are one scenario, one mission, where you're doing this thing in the city and trying to stop the people that are dropping those bombs or uh, setting off those gas bombs and then, you know, capturing them. And then the second mission is level 6 and 7, which is in that museum you mentioned, which I thought was kind of cool. That's, it's, it introduces the aspect in that level of stealth. So in the first five levels... It's more or less run-and-gun action. 
It's behind your character third-person view. You get a whole bunch of different weapons in the game. There's a bunch of different pistols, and there's a sniper rifle. Um, you're, 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 every gun you have, you can switch with the L button to a view where you're, you know, first-person view through, you know, through the gun sight, so you can, even with pistols, kind of get a better view on people. This game does have headshots and such, and in certain certain cases, or at least one that I've gotten to, you can actually disarm people if you shoot them with the weapon. Like, there's, there's a lot of really neat little things in this. So I, I'm not coming on to say this game is complete garbage, because it's not. It does do some interesting things. However, I would say my experience with this game as someone who has not played it before, is that everything you need to do in this game is as frustrating as it, as it can possibly be. It's not about being hard because it's a hard game. Like, Dark Souls is a hard game, but you can, you know, generally you can get through it. This is just, like, it's not a hard game, but your controls and the way that this game targets things makes things that should be very easy very, very difficult. And it, it, it is, uh, it, you know, you were mentioning it just kind of being a take on Metal Gear, and obviously that's what it's trying to do. It's trying to be a more run-and-gun style Metal Gear with with some uh, light stealth thrown in there, you know, if you want to. But overall, I think the game really lends itself more to just being a run-and-gun style game. Uh, even when you try to do stealth, a lot of times, especially in the later levels, the enemies notice you out of nowhere. Like, it's really frustrating to try to to play this game like a stealth game a lot of times. And it really seems like it just wants to push to, to get you to running at dudes and, and doing like it's uh, it's very forgiving with the automatic aim. You know, if you get close to them, you'll, you'll generally shoot them. Sometimes. Sometimes it's very forgiving. Other times yeah. you're right at pointed to the guy and you shoot and it doesn't hit him. Yes, yes, that too. And then in the later levels, it gets even worse. I don't know if you got to this part or not, that people start wearing flak jackets. Yep. So you can't yep. even do like the run and gun stuff. You've got to, you know, actually stop and zoom in and try to get headshots on them. And that is, eh, it's, it's not great. I remember being frustrated by that even when I was playing it back in the day, no matter how much I was enjoying it. Well, I guess I got to level 12. So I'll go through just generally how far I got in this game, because I think it's not spoiling the game, and it will kind of explain why I stopped. Because I generally, for every episode of this show, have tried to finish the game. If it's a game that I, I like when we did Battletoads, I didn't finish Battletoads. But I gave it a hell of a chance, and I did a whole lot of save states to get through it, and, and I, I got near the end, right? So Battletoads is, is one of the few games I didn't finish. This one goes on there, but not because it's hard like Battletoads. I think if I would have been willing to slam my head against the wall more and more, I would have finished this game. But like I said, this game makes your control and or the control in this game and just how some of the fights are, especially the boss fights I ran into either super easy and you're like okay great I did that without even thinking or just the most frustrating thing ever because you know exactly what to do but then the game just doesn't let you do it so the first five levels no problem there I had no problem with running on levels in fact the bosses there I found to be extremely easy um, a lot of the time it's just run around circle strafe and shoot and you're good the end of that boss thing is a is a guy with a flamethrower and literally I circle strafed him shot him in the back four times and he, and he died and I was like well that was cool but at least at least it was a boss right move the story along no problem level six and seven is at the museum and I liked that level because it was laid out really well. And you do get to see a map of most of the areas you're in in the game. You can pause the game, go to a map. It shows you the layout. It even gives you kind of some checkpoints as to where to be. I like that a lot. It doesn't just, just throw you out there. But that introduces the stealth, like I said. And yes, stealth in this game is the first super frustrating thing I had to deal with. Because the level six, uh, which is kind of you sneaking into this museum as a guest, but you're sneaking in and following this, this guy to try to figure out 
you know, who he's talking to, who his connections are that are getting him this gas or whatever, or who he's dealing the gas with, something along those lines. It doesn't really matter. The point is you're, you're following him at a distance, but also there's all these guards there. And the guards can see you, it seems just like, whenever. I could never tell when they were looking at me. I mean, most of the time it was obvious if they're looking at you, it's too late. But other times, I'd walk right in front of them. They would do nothing. Other times, I'd have them on the side, and all of a sudden, they would just turn and start firing. Like, I couldn't figure out how to tell where they were looking. Metal Gear does this really well by having on your map, your mini-map, their cones of view, right? And also in Metal Gear, if you're seen, then sometimes it just means you have to hide somewhere and wait till they, you know, calm down, or you kill that first guy and hide, and eventually the alarm goes away. In this game, it's like, in this section specifically, oh, they spotted you, it's over, you're done. Go on to the next section, you know, restart from the beginning of the stealth section. And it's a fairly I, long stealth section. I, I can't figure out what the stealth is in this game because it, just, I don't know if you do this, but just about any game that I play that has like some sort of stealth aspect in it. Uh, the last one I played was the new Assassin's Creed. I will generally try to get up to a character that is not active just to see what the boundaries are for the, the game's stealth mechanic. Like how far to one side or another can I get to him? How close can I get to him before he, he sees me? Uh, what do I have to do? You know, just, just so that it, I can kind of get an idea of what I need to do as a fucking player to actually be stealthy in the game. And I don't, I just think it's broken in Siphon Filter. Like sometimes it's fine. Like you can go into a room and be super stealthy. Nobody notices you. It's, you know, whatever. But other times like it's like the game breaks and they just see you somehow. And I just, I don't know. I, if somebody knows, please let me know because I have, I've just never figured this fucking game out. Well, I don't know if the problem is that they decided that it would be too easy if your sniper rifles, because there's sniper rifles all over this game, didn't have a very good range. Or if it's just a matter of the PlayStation's drawability, right? They're just like, well, we can't go out that far or the game won't, won't work. So we'll do the best we can with it. I don't know. But I felt like all the other guns, fine. If I'm trying to kill you with a pistol even with a silencer, and, and you see me moving in the corner because I want to get close enough to you, I'll buy that. I'll buy that you can find me. And if I'm running around with a shotgun, that's on me. That's the loudest weapon I could possibly use other than throwing grenades. You're going to find me. Totally fine. The sniper rifle, theoretically, should let me be as far away as I want to be, zoom in, see you, take you down. As long as someone else isn't staring at you, they won't notice that you've gone down. But instead, I felt like as soon as I zoomed in with the sniper rifle, on 90% of the time I used it, guys would immediately like, turn towards me and start firing <laughs> And I'm like, but I, I, you're the very farthest end of my sniper rifle. Like, I can barely see your head. How can you see me from there? And they're hitting me with pistols as they're firing back at me. Um, you do have a life bar, which is good in this. And you get a flak, uh, like a, an armor jacket that you can replenish by finding other armor jackets, either in chests or off guys you kill. But I, I found with the, the stealth specifically, especially levels where you were locked in at, like, level six, I just, I, I had to just do it over and over again until eventually I got lucky. Because also not seeing where their co their cone of vision is. Also, if they're in the, the museum, this happens a frequent amount, where they're kind of walking around corners, and, and you can't see where they are. You can't tell where they are. Your map doesn't show you until you've already seen somebody where somebody is. So I couldn't figure out if I'm like, I can see that guy's over there, but I can't tell what direction he's facing. I can't I can't do anything to move there. I had, I had some real problems where it's hard to tell where the stealth ended. But I still got through that section. It was frustrating, but I got through it. Well, when your previous game, you know, the only game that you've made is Bubsy 3D, I'm going to probably say that a lot of the guys making this game weren't pros at what they were doing. Uh, you know, they, they didn't have the experience needed to really try to, to make a successful, stealthy action game. Uh, I will say that Siphon Filter 2 and 3 are much, much better in that 
in that mechanic anyway. But yeah, here it's it's never really what it needs to be. And there's so many times it just it it just seems broken. I, I don't know what it is. It just seems like if the character or if the enemy sees that the camera is facing him or anything like that, if he's not even looking at it, just if the camera's facing him, then it will trigger that somehow in, in the code. And then he's just going, oh, there they are, you know? And so, I don't know. It's, it's the least enjoyable aspect uh, of this game for me, besides just running around with a, with a taser, you know, the, when you're doing, doing stealth like that. But yeah, I just, I just don't think it works well. Well, even the levels where it's not required, you figured you'd still want to be stealthy, right? You're one guy taking on a group of terrorists or an army or whatever it is you're going against. Why is it that every time you come to a closed door, your guy kicks it open as hard as he can and <laughs> makes the biggest scene that he can? I, I think that's just <laughs> what this game wants you to do. Like, it really pushes you towards being a run-and-gun action game uh, for the most part. So, I, I don't know. It, it just, that's the way I played it as a kid. Because as a kid, I just wasn't really a fan of stealthy games, games like that. I liked Metal Gear, but that was more so because of the story and the characters and things like that. I just wasn't that big of a fan of stealth games at the time. And this, it was like, well, you've got the option to do that if you want to, but it's damn well not going to punish you for just running at people with a shotgun for the most part. So that's just the way I played it. And knocking down doors was the way to go for me. Well, so level six is that stealth level. You get through that, and level seven is a more run and gun. You're trying to get to, um, to, to the person you've been following because now they've been taken captive and you have to save them uh, so that you can find out you know, who their targets are or whatever. That level I liked. That level was fine. No problem. But immediately after that, the next set of missions is levels 8 through 11, which is going to Kazakhstan to Romer's base. Romer's like the main bad guy you're dealing with for the first part of the game. Level 8 is another level that says they want you to be stealthy. Now you're, intro you're, you're getting into this military base or some kind of fortress, and you want to be totally stealthy. However, the game doesn't force you to be stealthy. Like in level 6, if you're found, it's like, oh, you were seen, and the level restarts. In this, it just plays alarms like in Metal Gear, when you're seen, except that it never goes away. For the rest of the time you're in the level, the base is on high alert, which is realistic. I mean, to be fair, in Metal Gear, it's silly that if you're, <laughs> if you're in a military base that some guy was shooting around or whatever, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, you know, I haven't heard anything in 30 seconds. It's probably fine. Let's go back to our patrol. Like, that's always, it works for video game, but logically it doesn't make sense. In this case, logic is better. They stay on high alert the whole time. They know that you're coming. All of a sudden someone says you're there. Yeah, let's not go back to whatever we were doing before. Let's stay on high alert. But it means that the rest of the level, if you are stealthy, is to go through the level and put um, explosives on these gas uh, canisters so that you can blow up their base and, and the gas, and then sneak into these tunnels. If you do that and stay stealthy, the stealth part's hard, and you have to make sure they don't see you, but it's not bad at all. As soon as you try to make it a run-and-gun level, that is unforgiving. Because as soon as you set the alarm off, there's no way to turn it off unless you totally restart the entire level. As soon as you touch a gas tank or any of the things that are your objectives, there's another guy you have to kill in there or whatever, it says, oh, you know, checkpoint saved, whatever. And so now when you come back to that checkpoint, if you die and go back, the alarm's still on. It never goes off unless you go back to your last save at the start of the whole level. And I could not get through level eight without setting off the alarm. And then once the alarm was off, I couldn't last long enough. I got to the very end stretch where you're in the tunnels and you're trying to, like, get to the checkpoint, and I just couldn't. I, I could not get there with enough health. There weren't any, uh, they, they only give you one life jacket in that entire level to refill your armor, and it's on the guy you have to kill uh, as your objective point. So if you kill him, you steal his jacket, it only fills a little bit of your health up anyway. And then you have to make it all the way through this active base where guys continuously spawn. And in this case, 
a lot of them have flak jackets. You mentioned the flak jackets earlier. It makes it so that really, unless you're shooting them in the head, which it's a jacket, so the head doesn't cover their jacket, uh, you're going to take a bunch of shots. Even with a combat shotgun, which does a ton of damage, it takes two or three hits of guys in the flak jacket. And if you kill someone with a flak jacket with an explosive or something that actually kills them straight out of damage without shooting them in the head, you can't take their jacket to refill your health. So you can either try to run up and get lucky and, and use that combat shotgun or whatever does the most damage and just gun them down before they kill you, or do a bunch of headshots. Well, I'm trying to run through this base and do a bunch of headshots, but four or five guys are spawning at a time. I don't have a lot of bullets. I don't have any health. I'm trying to get to the... I, I mean, I spent most of, of like my attempt at playing this game in level eight till eventually I got through it. Uh, by just staying stealthy the whole time, and as soon as I screwed up, just reloading. Like, <laughs> I didn't even bother. Like, okay, I'm not even going to try to keep going through it. Because the first day I tried to play this, I got up to level 8, no problem, and then I spent hours just dying over and over again trying to stealth through this area because it was so hard to stay stealthy. And then once you broke that stealth, it became unbearably difficult. It, it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you didn't quite enjoy your time with, with Siphon it's Filter. I didn't hate it. This is the thing. I liked parts of this game a lot. Like So after I got through the, the first part of the, the Kazakhstan area where you're sneaking into the base, after that, you're in these tunnels underneath, and you're trying to mark these missiles, and that's just like a run-and-gun with these red laser gates you have to turn on and off, and meanwhile, you're trying to run around and fight guys, but, but that was still run-and-gun. Like The run-and-gun sections of this game, I did not have a problem with at this point in the game. After the missile section, I, I liked. Then you have... The second major boss of the game, I think, which is this helicopter you have to fight, I hated this boss. I hated I hated all everything about it. You have to basically just fire at this helicopter while dodging its shots, which that's fine in every game. But the the time, the little bit of time you have that you can actually fire at this thing and hurt it, you have to basically let it fire at you a bunch and then let it fly overhead, and then you can fire at it a few times while it flies away until eventually it starts also dropping guys down. And this is where... I had the biggest problem trying to get the game to not target. You have an auto target with it. So the L button lets you go to your your zoom where you can see, you know, you can move around the reticle of your, your gun. But the R button just zooms in on the nearest guy. But it's not the nearest guy. It's whatever the <laughs> game wants to go to. So if yeah. you're firing at this helicopter and you're like, okay, I want to fire at the helicopter, most of the time I didn't have a problem with that. If the helicopter's on the screen, if I hit that, that zoom in right target, auto target button, it would target the helicopter. But I could be right next to a guy who's trying to fire at me with guns, and I'm like, hit the right button to go on that guy and spin around. And instead, I'm just pointing at the, fire at the helicopter while this guy next to me is just gunning me down. And, and again, you only have a little bit of health in this section. Uh, there's only one health refill. It took me a while to get to the helicopter. I hated the controls on the helicopter fight. I knew exactly what to do from the get-go. Like You could see you were hurting the helicopter. The, in fact, my first attempt, I probably got two-thirds of the way through like it was actually had fire coming off and I was like oh, I'm doing this really well and then after that I just could never kill the guys it would drop it would just kept zooming in on that damn helicopter so then I was like well I'll just switch to another gun and then you know go through but but switching to a gun in this game either you pound the select button till you get the gun you want and all the guns don't come up on select I don't know why some of them do most of them do but not all of them and then if you want to hold down the select button it'll come up with a little you know, bar across the top of the screen where you can then hit L2 and R2 to switch guns, but the game doesn't pause when you do that. So you're in the middle of a gunfight, and you're like, oh, I'll just go through your guns. Do, 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 do. Meanwhile, they're shooting you the whole time, and there's nothing you can do to stop them from shooting you. If they would have made it so I could select my gun with it paused, that would have made a world of difference for me in, in almost any part of this game where weapon selection was a problem, which after this point came up more often than not. Yeah, I, I can't. I got to stop defending it because that's all, all I'm doing this whole fucking show. Is just, it's uh, not I, a, it's, I just, 
I just can't. I, it's just bad. I, that, that helicopter fight is terrible. I mean, especially after we've done MGS and, and just, you know, back then I, I didn't see the difference between, you know, I, I knew obviously what the difference between good and, and bad gameplay was in design, but the, oh my, the, the helicopter fight in MGS is just perfect. And then this, it's, it's just like, they were like, Hey, that game did that. Let's have, let's try to do that too. And with people that didn't know how to design a game very well. And you just end up with this mess and the lock on. Yes. It's, it's just really bad for the most part. And, and playing it again, I, I didn't get much further than this. Honestly, I, I, I use the safe state, the, the hell out of the safe states on the, on the pie for this one. But I just, it, it the whole time they're playing, it, I was just like, this can't be this bad. Like this, you know, since I'm playing it on the pie, you just got that, that thought in the back of your head. Like this must be just a, a bad ROM, you know, it's just jank. Uh, but you know, I pulled out my PlayStation mini and played it on that, you know, you, you know, admittedly it's a ROM on that too, but it's the exact same. It's just that game. That's just how it is. And somehow I, it's just one of those games. I, I, it really got to me as a kid. I loved it, but this, now you can't fucking play it. <laughs> it's, this, it's just almost impossible. It screams to me of a game that if I had it when it was new, and especially if I was younger at the time, I mean, at this point I was an old man already and, and I, you know, I, I was old enough to have a real job and I, I, I was old enough to know, hey, I don't like this game. I'm not going to really be into it. I'm not going to put the time to it. But if I was five years younger, and I, let's say I was 13 and would have gotten this game for my birthday, I would have played the hell out of this game because it has enough things to keep me playing. It has enough little things that I liked. Even when I was frustrated, I still like that. So after the helicopter fight, you have to escape that level. No problem there. You run out. I had no issues with that whatsoever. The next level is the one you mentioned with the cathedral where you have to do this crazy platforming. Now, I need to stress... That's 100% accurate. But this is one of the few games that has crazy platforming that you cannot jump in. You can't, I mean, there's not a real jump button. There's an action button that if you're near something you can jump up to, like climb up, you know, a bar, it'll jump up to that bar. But there's no jump button. There's no way to like run and jump over a gap. But yet, there are places where it looks like you can do that. At first, I thought, I just must not understand how to jump in this game. Uh, earlier, there's a place where you're supposed to like roll under a gate, and I was like, "How do you roll?" And it's simple. While you're running, you hit the circle button. Like, oh, I, I just rolled. So I was like, maybe jump is something I just didn't see. Like, you hold down the L button and hit X, right? I don't know. No, there is no jump. That's a real jump. There's just this universal action button that Triangle does. You know, it opens a dot, it opens a box, it opens a door. It, if you can jump to a platform, you will. There's no real jump. So when I got to this cathedral. The first thing I had to do was figure out where the level even is. Because your map of, of this is an <laughs> overhead map of a bunch of buildings. It doesn't show you the yeah. insides of these buildings. So I was like, where the hell is the level here? And I did that by falling over and over again to my death while I figured out eventually, like, oh, here's the one place I can go where I don't fall to my death. It must be somewhere near here. And you have to shoot open windows and then climb through those windows. Once you're in that level, I didn't hate the actual level itself because it's going through and trying to find these scientists to kill and put this serum in in uh in their test subjects to save them but at the same time i kept getting stuck at parts where i'm outside of the cathedral trying to walk around the outside trying to find an entrance and guys are sniping me and i can't get to a place where i can snipe them back so i have to like turn around and aim at them and just fire blindly and hope that i can hit them i just i got very very frustrated with the cathedral level to the point where i just quit i was like i'm not going to play any more of this game right now you know i don't have the patience that every level, like, I knew what I was supposed to do. I knew where the level was. I was I was actually, like, excited to get to this level when I got there because I was like, oh, this is a totally different setting, like you said. And I just, I got so frustrated with it. And I spent 
another like three hours today trying to get through this level. And I just, I couldn't. I could not get through it without constantly dying. And then it goes back to your last checkpoint, which there are some checkpoints in here. But sometimes the checkpoints are at horribly inopportune times where you're like, oh, I got a checkpoint on a place where I have almost no health and no no life jackets anywhere nearby, and I know there's guys around the corner that all have flak jackets, so I've got to shoot them all in the head while they're all firing at me, and I have no health to do it in. Or I can restart the level, which is what I end up doing 90% of the time, and then I have to get all the way back to where that was and get lucky enough not to get sniped a bunch off the way. It's just very frustrating. Now, I do have to ask. Uh, I know you said you played this on this time on the Pi and on the PlayStation Mini. I played this on the PlayStation Mini, which unfortunately comes with the original PlayStation controller setup it doesn't have the analog sticks this game is late enough to have used the analog sticks and i was wondering if that would have made a massive difference on my inability to control things uh, no no not really i mean maybe i i always just played it with the d-pad uh, that's that's you know how it was i didn't actually have a uh, a dual shock or whatever the hell they called the uh, yeah, dual shock on that first out. one uh i yeah i just always played it with the uh, the d-pad it seemed like it, it was made for the d-pad so if anyone out there played with the actual uh, sticks, you know, maybe that actually added a little bit better movement to it. But I can't see that it did because it was always made just for a D-pad. So if, if they did do it, you know, unless they added specific instructions for uh, the analog sticks, I, I can't really see it doing much better than how it is right now. And how it is is clunky as all hell with the D-pad. It, it really is. It, it is a clunky game all around. Like, it has some good ideas. It has a lot of weapons. I like that. And it has a lot of ammo. It's not a Resident Evil situation where you only have, like, oh, I have six bullets. I better make them last. Like, no, you're going to get a ton of bullets. And half the time, you're going to fire blindly at stuff and hope that you can hit it. Um, it the, the auto zoom is great when there's one or two people. It gets bad when there's a lot of folks. And, uh, and generally, even though it's an ugly game, I, I think a lot of PlayStation games are ugly games, so take that for what it's worth. But it does run well. Like I didn't have a lot of times where I felt like things were, were popping in and out. I didn't have a lot of, of bad like polygon problems. I mean, generally I was okay with the levels and the way they were set up. It was just everything I wanted to do. I felt like was way harder than it needed to be just to get the controls to do what I want. Not a matter of, of like, Oh, I don't know where to go here. Oh, I don't know how to fight this boss. It was just like, I know exactly what I need to do. Why is this game not doing what I'm saying to do? Like, I just got so frustrated with the controls that everything else, you know, I the story was kind of boring. Yes, it connected everything, but it wasn't very interesting. Um, it didn't need to be batshit crazy Metal Gear style. I didn't need to find out there's clones or whatever. I just, you know, I wanted a story that would be interesting. And instead, it's a very standard, you know, oh, there's, there's a, like a terrorist group and we're going to, you know, track them back. I, I'm okay with that. Kind of James Bondy. It, it worked for what it was. But, man... Once I get to the part where they expect you to do platforming without the ability to jump or look around easily unless you're actually aiming a gun, I was like, I can't. I have no more patience for what this game is asking me to do. I made it level 12 out of 20. I gave it a good try, but I'm never going to finish Siphon Filter. And I'm glad to hear that you tried the sequels and that maybe they were better at some parts of this because I kind of feel like... I felt like until we talked about it just now that I was going to come on and, and you and Billy were going to tell me about how I'm wrong because the game's great. They made six of these games, so clearly someone likes them. But at least my experience with just this only one is that I do not. I, I think a lot of its success comes from people that just remember those, maybe those first two levels or so. Because I don't know if you remember, but the, the uh, first level or so was on one of those PlayStation demo discs that you could get everywhere back in the day. And I, I think a lot of the sales came from people playing it on that demo disc and running around tasering people and or tasing people, and, and that was it. You know, they were like, oh, that's a cool-ass game. And they got it, and they probably didn't get far enough to really get 
too frustrated with the game. And, you know, a lot like NES Ghosts and Goblins, years later, people are just like, yeah, I love that game. You're like, well, how far did you get? I, you know, I maybe got past the first few levels. It's like, well, you didn't get to the part that really got bad. (laughs) And now it's kind of all bad. But speaking of the sequels, yes, they are definitely more refined than this first one. This first one had some, Identic had some big dreams. And they they just didn't have the any idea of how to you know make them happen in a way that that worked uh, when when it kind of when when things got too big for their britches I guess you know sticking around and like you said in those easy levels where you just got one or two dudes that you can zoom in on cap them in the head run that feels good but when it gets too out of control they just didn't know how to rein it in but the sequels do that really well for the most part I think things definitely. Um, Especially the stealth. The stealth got way, way better in the other games. So uh, I, if you want to play a Siphon Filter today, I still think Siphon Filter 3 is probably about the best you can do. Uh, I, I, that one was the one I remember most fondly besides this one, just, you know, based on nostalgia. But Siphon Filter 3 seemed like it really had, like, it's, it, the gameplay down at that point. So maybe check that one out. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I don't want my memories ruined anymore. This was this was bad enough. I had a had a game that I dearly loved almost completely uh, shit the bed for me. And I guarantee you, if Billy was on this episode, he'd be cursing me. He's like, "You motherfucker!" Like he just he would <laughs> beat the shit out of me for picking this game. So it's probably good he isn't here. I mean, during that helicopter fight, I had a few choice words for you. I'm going to be honest. That that was the most frustrated I was with this game, but eventually I beat it. I don't know if I could ever do it again. I just got lucky that things were targeting the guys at the right time and not killing me, and I finished the helicopter, and I was I cheered. I literally stood up and cheered as if I had won, like, beaten the whole game, and I didn't. There's a lot more to come. Uh, that cathedral just was too much. Now, I'm more interested. <laughs> so, Siphon Filter 1 through 3 were on the PlayStation. All of these games were by the same pub, all, by the same developer. All of them were by Adectic. They changed them eventually to Bend, and they are still working with Sony to do games. Apparently, they were part of the team that was supporting Uncharted uh, most recently. So, they, they're still around. So, I guess they've, they've gotten better at what they're doing. So, the first Siphon Filter 1, 2, and 3 were on the original PlayStation. But then Siphon Filter The Omega Strain and Siphon Filter Dark Mirror were both on the PlayStation 2. Now, I wonder if those are any better, uh, because, again, that's a stronger system. You can do a lot more with it, and they've got more experience with it. Uh, that's it. Never played them. And then the very last one it, that came out was in 2007 was Siphon Filter Logan's Shadow, uh, which came out only for the PSP. So I'm sure a lot of people never played that one whatsoever. Um, I, I, I think I, it's weird that uh, that uh, PlayStation just, or Sony just kind of left it, left it going, you know, even when uh, Xbox had Splinter Cell, when that finally came out. Obviously, Sony had an answer with uh, Siphon Filter, an already established popular game. And I guess the sales just got so bad, you know, they, they couldn't really uh, bother making any more games for it. But yeah, I mean, it, uh, Splinter Cell was a huge success. And it seems like this game, you know, even if they just straight up copied that, would have, uh, you know, the people that just own PlayStations would have went for that. But I guess they didn't. It. It's definitely a game I don't think this aged very well. Thankfully, if you want to play it, it is easy to find. It is on the PlayStation Mini, which last I checked, you can probably find for about 20 bucks somewhere because uh, the whole unit as a whole, not great, but it does have some gems on there. This is not one of them, but you do get to give it a shot fairly easily uh, if you don't want to dig out your original PlayStation and, and give this one a shot. So not our thing. Uh, it was Jeremy's thing. I guess I'm glad we checked it out. It's always disappointing when a game we loved one of us loved. Turns out not to be as good as we remember. But it does happen, and this is an example of that. Yeah, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> there was a few times that I was going through this. I was like, ah, crap. <laughs> I made the wrong decision. That's our thoughts on Siphon Filter. Uh, maybe not a hidden gem, but definitely a game that, that many people remember fondly. Maybe it's better to just keep it in your memories. Uh, but something you don't have to keep in your memories is if you had a question you really wanted to ask us, and you were like, man, I wish there was a way I could tell these guys. Good news. You have a way to ask us questions. Other than going on our social media and asking them directly, you could go to Retrovania.net, where there's not only links to all of our social media and our Facebook page and our Discord and everything else, but also at the very bottom, there's a form. And this form is useful to ask any question you want to us. It comes to us directly, and we read them on the show like we're going to do right now. We are, and our first question comes from Chris Singleton, and he's got a game review, game review request. Hey guys, absolutely loving the podcast. Found it a few weeks ago on Spotify, and it, is a, and it has replaced everything else I've been listening to. That being said, I can't believe y'all have yet to review Solstice for the NES. This was a game that my mother and I used to take turns playing together. A true classic. Please make this one of your reviews. Keep up the amazing content. Well, I have to say, Solstice is a game that I recently thought about playing. I thought about actually picking it for this show, and then I thought maybe I would just play it on our Twitch channel, because I finished the game Lumo. I was playing it on the Switch based on a recommendation from one of our other patrons, and it's excellent. It's that same kind of isometric puzzle action game, and so I was like, you know, I have a copy of Solstice. I should play it again. And so, at the very least, I don't know if we're going to cover it uh, on the episode uh, I don't know if we're going to cover it with an episode of Retrovaniacs, but I will probably be playing Solstice at some point on our Twitch channel, which, again, you can find on Retrovania.net. I'd be down for Solstice. I, I really enjoy I never played the NES version, but I played the Super NES version, and that is, I, I have fond memories of that game, so that's I would sequel. be up for doing Solstice. Yeah, that's Equinox. That's the sequel to Solstice. I would definitely play that, too. But, you know, that, that sounds like two out of three of us are down. And since the third one of us didn't make the episode, he doesn't get a vote on this one. So <laughs> Solstice may come up at some point. Thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, it's a cool-ass game. Uh, next question comes in from uh, Mason. And I'm going to real quick clarify a question that he sent in the last episode. Because he sent in a very specific question asking... What are our favorite flight simulator music tracks or soundtrack or yeah, whatever? Which we, we and, were kind of blown away with. We didn't know what that even meant. Yeah, it was like, what, we don't play, I what? Uh, and he really liked the Ace Combat 2 soundtrack, which Ace Combat has always had very good soundtrack. I'll give him that. But he, he did go on to clarify on our Discord that he was mainly just talking about when any game where you fly around in something and shoot at stuff or whatever. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> that's a pretty big clarification. And, you know, if I, if I'm going to go with that, then I just say, you know, Axelay, I really like the music in that game. Um, you know, that's just a, a shooter to me, but if you want to say that Axelay is a flight simulator or Star Fox, uh, Star Fox was mentioned uh, as well. Hell yes. Star Fox has some of the best goddamn, uh, music that you could possibly have in a, a flight action shooter kind of game. But I would not call that a flight simulator. So he just wanted to clarify that's what he meant. So, uh, but anyway, he's back again this time uh, with uh, <laughs> keeping with the same category. Have you listened to the Ace Combat 2 soundtrack yet? 
If not, go do so right now and come back. I'll wait. We're back. I still haven't actually listened to it. No, me either. We'll have to update on a future episode. (laughs) Since I didn't get the request till just this minute, I I have not done so. Now to once again bring up great soundtracks in a genre not typically known for them, name the best first-person shooter soundtrack. Now shut the fuck up because the answer is Unreal Tournament. Uh, I would have to say it, this is. I remember when I first played Quake that I thought the soundtrack was the soundtrack was rad, wasn't it? Like Nine Inch Nails tracks I made specifically for Quake. One of my answers. Yeah, Quake had it, but then then when I thought about it more, all I remember for Quake is you could put in your own CD and using that like command thing, you could play any CDs you wanted. So at that point, I changed to Ministry Psalm sixty nine every time I played that game. <laughs> so my soundtrack to Quake, which I did love, was in fact not the soundtrack to Quake. I, I was going to go with uh, Quake, obviously. I, I love the music in Quake. Uh, the other ones that I can remember is uh, the, the intro to Doom 2016, where you you know you get past that little first section and you're in the elevator and he's expl- the, you know the guy is explaining what's going on and, and Doom guy is just standing there just you know just flexing his fists or his arm or whatever. and just the music that's building in the background for that. and, and then he just hits that. That thing on the wall, and it just goes black, and it's just doom. And the music is so perfect for that. Possibly one of the greatest intros to any game ever. And I cannot imagine that being uh, the same without how that that music that's just playing right then. Uh, otherwise, I would probably go with uh, Bioshock, in, or not Bioshock, Bioshock, just a regular old Bioshock. That soundtrack still sticks in my head. I love it to death. And uh, God, I can't even remember too many other maybe portal fps games. i guess portal had I, a good soundtrack yeah there really wasn't much in there besides you know the cake song i, I um, always think of those those games more for the sound effects they have to be immersive sound effects and they're always good most of the time but uh but yeah there's not too many i guess all of the ones i could think of were all that industrial metal kind of sound so yeah that's that's generally what i played did you ever do the thing uh, you kind of mentioned yes. putting in the the thing uh, for Quake. Yeah, I know what you mean. But like on the PlayStation, you could, there were certain games where you could take the disc out and put other like music CDs in and actually just play them like that. Uh, it, but then when I had to get to another section where it loaded, it wouldn't work anymore. I tried that also on like Xbox, the original Xbox. You could put in your own oh, music, and yes, some games did that. Your... Um, that. I never so did good. take advantage of that. It's really something I only did on PC. Uh, and no, I don't know if that's was, just simple, was... simple, but I, I just did it. It was really great on Xbox for the games that actually used that. Uh, like there was, uh, I think it was uh, Project Gotham 2 that lets you create like your own, like, uh, and even uh, GTA, you could make your own soundtrack and just pull it up as a radio station. Yeah, that's kind of that cool. so cool. That's I cool. loved that as a kid. But yeah, on PlayStation, like for games that could load in with one single load, like the original Ridge Racer and, and stuff like that, you could actually just take the disc out and, and put it in uh, your own C- music CD. And I thought that was awesome i love doing that i tried to do that with every game i could uh but anyway uh yeah that's uh that's what i'm gonna say for first person shooter soundtracks uh maybe i'll think of something different later on anyway thanks mason for writing in again and our next question comes in from ben d and he wants to he's letting us know about mike tyson's punch out this game continues to surprise me i understand that you can successfully counter bald bulls bull charge uppercut if you throw a punch just perfectly with a camera flash animation seen in the background, and that this secret was discovered 25 years after the game's original release. More recently, I came across a tactic for the second match against Don Flamenco, 
wherein you dodge his uppercut and then immediately follow up with punches to his heads in a sequence of left-right, right-left, left-right, that you can continue until he just goes down. Strangely enough, this pattern only works once during the fight, but it can save time in what is usually a long, drawn-out fight. I wish I had known about this when I was a kid playing the game. It makes me wonder how people ever figure this shit out in the first place, and what other weird secrets may still be hiding in games. Have you guys come across any instances, whether it be Punch-Out, or other games where secrets are discovered decades later? I remember when they found that that flash thing for Bald Bull. I thought that was really cool, but I, I mean... I always time that down to where he jumps back and you can do one, two, three punch and punch him in the stomach uh, and he'll turn around and fall to the ground. But that's still one I, I, I did pretty pretty consistently, but that's an early enough fight. I, I love the original Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. I think we covered the Punch-Out series a while ago too. And uh, I normally don't have any problems till I get to about that point. The second Bald Bull and the second Don Flamenco and Sandman. Like the, the last few fights get really difficult. But generally, a lot of those are, are, are pretty easy to do. I, I'm trying to think of anything that would have had a secret like that that came out way later. And I'm drawing a blank. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Uh, obviously, the, the Punch-Out ones did. But there's things that I figured out that I'm like, oh, th- this would make things much simpler. I was just playing Oddworld, the original Oddworld, uh, PlayStation version on Twitch. And I, up until this playthrough, and I've beaten the game before, uh, didn't realize that if you're running in that game, while you're running, if you you know, hold down the X button, you immediately go from running to rolling, and then when you let go of the X button, you keep running again. It makes all the things I was trying to time before and failing at miserably so much simpler. That's not a secret. That's me learning the controls of a game 20 years after the fact. <laughs> but that's the closest I got. I, I can't really think of anything personally that I've ever really tried to, you know, go out go out of my way to find or, or do that I've found. But, I mean, it's it's been going on forever. I, I'm fascinated by, you know, what people can find. Even like the you know adventure for the twenty six hundred had that one thing that people found years later, uh, that room where the developer had I guess his initials or something in. Yeah, um, Easter yeah. egg room. And uh, uh, you know, recently I think the one that was craziest to me that that came out not too long ago was that you could play as uh, the the hand in Super Super Smash Brothers, and that was something I remember like back in the day. Everyone was like, you you've got to be able to play. As, as the fucking hand boss, you know, it's, it's he's there, he's, you got to be able to do it. You never, obviously couldn't, you couldn't do it, but finally people figured out a way, <laughs> fucking decades later, to play as a fucking master hand. So that's really, that's pretty cool to me. If you're interested in that stuff too, like as far as like people being able to like find things that just shave off just seconds, and maybe if you're doing like speedrun or something, there's an excellent YouTube channel, it's called Summoning Salt. Uh, he does some some great videos about like just the history of speed running through various games, and it's it's really crazy what people have been able to find, how hard they work, uh, what they have to do to just shave milliseconds oh. off of a game so they can get a, a world record or find these shortcuts or hidden cheats that no one even knew existed to to give them the edge in some of this stuff. It's really interesting stuff. He makes good videos. I highly suggest checking out some of his stuff. It's really cool. There was one recently where someone found a, a glitch in in Metal Gear Solid where they were able to kind of skip a whole section. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's crazy. That's all stuff that, that was just found, I mean, probably less than a month ago. And that, that's something I didn't even remember until just now. But yeah, that's that's speed running and ways to cut little pieces off. That is pretty fascinating. Yeah, that that whole scene is really cool to me. I I, I don't I'm not able to just sit there and watch it as much as I can, but you know, when whenever I see this stuff being accomplished by people 
it's it's really impressive the amount of time they have to invest in these games to just perfect it. It's crazy. It's nothing I could ever do because I can barely perfect just, you know, sitting at a computer for 20 minutes to write something, let alone play a stage, what, like 20,000 times just to shave off one second or something. It's just insane. People just have, uh, they're better at things than I am. I'll say that. But yes. Uh, thank you for writing in uh, about that. What was your name? Ben D. That it is a very cool subject. Next question comes in from Late to Gaming, and he wants to know about cartridge-based consoles. The recent discussion of the cutoff for considering a console retro reminded me that I used to have the simple rule that the transition from cartridge-based to disc-based was the line. I just don't think that's the case anymore. This got me to thinking, do you think there's any room in the console market for a modern car cartridge-based system? Not flash memory in a cartridge-like case, but a real retro-inspired cartridge. It would have to fill a specific niche, but maybe it would be a good, good home for a lot of these pixel art indie games. Anyway, keep up the work, good or otherwise. I like that clarification. I think most of our work is subpar. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'd love to see that in some ways, and, and I know you may not have flash, you know, cards with flash memory like the Switches, I guess, uh, cartridges do. I don't know. I think we're kind of past the point now where people are going to spend the money on it, but maybe it'll have a thing like, how records and cassettes are back for, for audio sound. People want to buy that stuff. But Atrax haven't. Maybe cartridges are more like that, where they're just not going to come back. It's not. It's too cost prohibitive. I, I don't know. I know that for very specific things, they will do cartridge re-releases. But you know, a whole system that's going to be based on cartridges as a as a main feature, as opposed to a special thing. I, I think we might be past that, unfortunately, in some ways. But also, I am guilty on the switch of downloading like paying for and downloading almost every game I own. I don't buy a lot of physical media anymore. And part of me is sad about that, but the ease of knowing that I don't have to leave my house and just pay for a game, come back an hour later and play it, is really, really hard to, to avoid. It's, it's something that I wish could be a thing again. I think that would be awesome, but I, you're right. I think it would have to be a, for a very niche audience at this point. Uh, the only thing that's really out there that I can think of is the Evercade, which uh, there's, it's got a handheld and uh, I guess came out with a console as well, but it, it only exists as cartridge base and, but the cartridges themselves don't just contain like one game. I think there's usually like six or seven or something. Yeah, they're collections. A, yeah, collections. You know, they've got like the Intellivision collection, uh, Code Ma Masters collection, and they do even have like modern stuff, they've got one collection that's like Xeno Crisis and, and Tanglewood. Like those just came out not too too long ago. They're modern uh, kind of retro games. And even like their newest stuff, they got like the Technos Arcade and, and the Data East Arcade. Like those are really cool. And I think the system is quality enough that it can, you know, it's it's they're good conversions of this stuff. It's not like you're getting like something that's, you know, a, a shitty ROM on, on one of these terrible consoles you buy at Walmart or something like that. They take the time, and I've uh, the documentation and stuff that actually comes with these these collections is really good. Like they actually spend the time, like they're nice, colorful, uh, you know, the documents that come with it, and instructions, and explaining the history of the games that's on the collection. That is, uh, I think, it does a really good job of of just being that kind of collector based system that has the stuff you know that's on a cartridge. But I think that's probably about as good as we're gonna get these days and uh that kind of sucks because uh you know 
<laughs> I, I enjoyed those cartridge days, even though I was one of those guys. As soon as a, a CD-based console came out, I was like, I'm never touching a cartridge again. That's that's for them old folks. I'm not using that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's I think it's gone, and and Evercade is really about the only thing that's keeping that dream alive these days. Unless there's something I just don't know about, and if there is, then please uh, write in and, and let us know. But man, you were talking about like these other things coming out. VHS is coming back somehow. I, I, we, me and my brother go to these stores and like they're, they literally are selling like copies of, uh, you remember the Star Wars VHS, uh, three pack that came out? Yeah, I've got one right here. <laughs> yeah. They're selling that for like a hundred dollars. Well, Star it's, Wars is, is kind of a unique case because if you have the older ones, it's the only way you're going to get the unedited original cuts, like before they added in all the special yeah. edition stuff. But that said, I, I mean, I would have said, like, and we kind of talked about this on a previous episode when someone asked us, like, what retro technology would want. Yeah. I think horror movies. Like, if I could go out and find, you know, the original series of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Streets and all this stuff on VHS only, I would gladly just use those instead. Because there's something about having those be kind of grainy and shitty that makes those movies better. Um, when you can really see everything cleaned up, it's not quite the same. So so I do get that. I, yeah. but, but you're also not going to have VHS copies of of new movies no one's gonna go out and buy a vhs copy of of you know the avengers it's not it's not a thing that people are gonna rush out to get that's definitely a weirder niche too but yeah i I don't know i'd love to see more cartridges and and speaking of the evercade i i keep thinking about grabbing one just because it has a links collection and i'm like man i'd buy it for those links collections but uh i still need a job so i'm gonna hold up on that (laughs) i've come pretty close to to just taking that uh handheld console because it looks it's not too bad at all uh, but yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a that's a dream I'm not gonna let die. You know, maybe someday <laughs> that could happen, but I just don't see it unless it's just focused on collectors like us, uh, just or or old people, which I'm uh, another thing of. Uh, but thank you, late for gaming to writing it for writing in, and uh, this is uh, our last question, and it is from Walkover, and he's uh he's writing in about pizza, trying to lose some weight. It's hard. Keep thinking of pizza. <laughs> me, me too. Yeah, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, it's it is a problem. What's the most strange things that you've seen on a pizza? What's your favorite? Do you have kebab pizza over there? We do, and if it's made proper, it can be fantastic. I I mean, if it's a kebab pizza, I would I would try that. If it's done right, that sounds like it could be incredible. And no, I've not seen kebab pizza. Doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but it doesn't exist in my tiny corner of the world that I'm aware of. Um, weirdest things to find on a pizza. I mean, you can always find like the, the places that do gourmet pizza and then they throw stuff on there. You're like, why would you necessarily want that? Um, the thing I like the most that's not, uh, that that's not on a lot of pizzas. Is there's a place near us that does like a hot honey pizza. So it has ham and I forgot what else is on it. Some kind of vegetables, but then it's drizzled with along with the regular pizza sauce. Underneath. It has hot honey and circles on the top and it's so good. Like, it, that's excellent, but uh, but my favorite pizza, honestly, is just a straight up pepperoni pizza. I mean, if it's just me by myself, uh, I would either just get straight pepperoni or pepperoni and mushrooms. Uh, but they have to be fresh mushrooms. If they're canned mushrooms, are kind of gross. I'll still eat them, but I'll be sad about it. But man, just a regular pepperoni pizza, New York style, as greasy as possible, is the best. Yeah, we've we've talked about this on on previous podcasts actually, and I I am the most boring pizza person in the world because you know for me uh, I will just I love just a straight up New York New York style cheese pizza slice. I don't even need anything on it. If you can put some pepperoni and sausage on it, that's fine. 
but I will get the same amount of enjoyment with just a regular ass cheese pizza. The only times that I have ever got adventurous with the pizza that I was ordering, I was horribly disappointed with or just horrified in general. And I've actually pulled up uh, an old website. Well, it's not an old website. It's from an old pizza place that I used to get pizza from when I was adventurous with that shit, meaning other people were ordering for me. And I was just like, yeah, it's probably good. It's pizza. It's fine. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Happy Joe's Pizza in uh, Quad Cities. Now, I, Happy Joe's is a real place. It's just not a meth addict that's down the street from me or anything like that. That's just like, I'll give you some pizza. It's, uh, it is a real restaurant, but they have some pizza that is maybe a little weird or for certain tastes. So I'm going to throw these out here to you, Jeremy. Uh, I've got a few from their website here. I'm going to read you what these pizzas are. First up, we've got the Taco Joe. Our special refried bean sauce, taco seasoned beef and sausage topped with lettuce, tomatoes, and taco chips. It's our world famous pizza. Also on the side, they give you a cup of nacho cheese. So actually, that doesn't sound too bad. I would try that. I was terrified you were going to tell me that it had sour cream all over it, which then I would have thrown it at you somehow <laughs> through the internet. That every taco-based pizza I've ever seen has sour cream all over it, and therefore I will not even try it. I'm the worst fat guy ever. I don't like sour cream at all. It makes me just want to die. So uh, that I would try. Now, I'm willing to bet I won't enjoy it because the taco seasoned meat probably is not what I want. Um, but the rest of it up to that point, especially if you get a cup of nacho cheese on the side, I'm kind of into that. Now, I, I will say that was the least uh, biggest offender for me. I was able to eat that. It's just that, you know, once you're still putting this all on a pizza crust, it's not thick or anything like that. Uh, but it's not like super thin and crispy either. So it's still a doughy pizza crust. And it's just, it's odd getting that on, on that kind of crust. So you've got the refried beans and all that kind of crap. It, after like one slice, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm glad I tried it, but I don't think I ever want to have any more either. Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds uh, but, like something you'd eat one, one good slice of and then move on to something else. Yeah. So ne next up, we've got the BLT. Uh, it's a uh, hickory smoked. I, they didn't write this well on their site. It says both hickory smoked and Canadian bacon. Oh, okay. It means both types of bacon. Right, right. Hickory smoked and Canadian bacon. It's just ham. With mozzarella. Yeah, just ham. Uh, with mozzarella, provolone, and cheddar cheeses. Baked and then topped with mayo, lettuce, and tomatoes. Ooh, you had me till the end there. You had me to the end. I was, in, I was the rest was like, yeah, that right? sounds fine. And it's like covered with mayo. Now, uh, that's, if it's done right, if you had just a very, like you had to have the pizza. But no, because I don't want hot mayo. That sounds gross. That sounds gross. I'm yeah, not, it was. Uh, the hot mayo makes me, I mean, and I've had subs that are hot that have mayonnaise on it and somehow it didn't make me sad. But the idea of a pizza with hot mayonnaise on the top and not spicy mayonnaise, like temperature hot, warm mayonnaise. No, no, that's a no. That's a no for me. Not going to have that. I, now, I can see that if you got it literally just as you, they pulled it out of the oven and put that stuff on there. Yeah, but if, I, if I slather it with mayonnaise and then put the toppings <laughs> on it and then eat it immediately, I might, I might be okay with that. But knowing that it's yeah. sitting in a box with hot mayonnaise, no, no not doing it. Nope. Yeah, and by the time we got it as delivery, uh, both the mayo was very warm, oh. and the lettuce itself had completely wilted. Oh yeah, no, that's so the, that's it, awful. That's this is a horrible idea. <laughs> it was like slimy lettuce and a hot mayo on just a you know doughy pizza. It was horrible. It was absolutely awful. I'm gonna throw this one in here as a bonus because I just want to see what you think about it. Oh no, uh, the mac and cheese pizza. 
macaroni and American provolone and cheddar. That could be okay. I've had a macaroni and cheese pizza before, uh, and it was not terrible. It also wasn't great, but it was. It had elements that I thought, if it was done better, would have been amazing, but it wasn't that great. Like, it was kind of subpar pizza in general. But uh, the idea of a macaroni and cheese top pizza is okay with me. Uh, it doesn't offend me. I'll say that much. It does not offend me. Yeah, it, it, it has to be done right. Uh, you have to have, much like macaroni and cheese, to be fair. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not... A, I, I like macaroni and cheese, but I don't want to just have a box of crap macaroni and cheese. Like, my kids eat right. that stuff, and I will, therefore, also eat it. But it's just not – I never crave that ever. But if you told me you have, like, a homemade mac and cheese, like at an office potluck, I'm going to house it. I'm going to house it every time, <laughs> and I'm going to love it. So putting putting that kind of, that kind of like, homemade mac and cheese on a pizza, but then also having the pizza cheese on top to get browned and bubbly, and then you have the mac and cheese – oh, that would be good underneath it. The problem I've seen with a lot of those is that then they go crazy with the cheese, where they're like – Here's a mac and cheese pizza. No, the bottom is cream cheese, and then we've got some feta cheese. Like, I don't want any oh. of that. I want I want house mac and cheese with pizza around it. Like, that, that's what I want. It says American provolone and cheddar, so that, that's that's not bad. That's, no, those, that's those your... are acceptable cheeses. Yeah. Okay, so finally, the uh, cream of the crop. This is what Happy Joe's is known for. Besides their taco pizza, this is the Happy Joe's special. Is it clams? No, not quite. I've seen I mean, I've seen places that do clam pizza, and I'm going to be honest, I've never tried it, and I do like clams, but I can't imagine that it's good. Anyway. I would have thrown up everywhere if I found out <laughs> I was eating clams on a pizza, but this is close. <laughs> so, this is Canadian bacon and sauerkraut, and <laughs> it's like got like that uh, Thousand Island dressing as yeah, the sauce no, base. No, it's that's awful. That is, that's not good. I, I can see where they thought, let's make a Reuben. And we'll, or yeah, I that's guess that's a more of a Rachel, but still, we want we want this sandwich, but we want it in pizza form. No, no, you don't need that. No, I, I love sauerkraut, but I can't imagine putting on a pizza is ever a good idea ever. Uh, their description for it is sounds unique, tastes great. I can confirm that both of the well, the sounds unique is definitely true. <laughs> uh, it does not taste great. It is. Uh, oh it man, is you had somebody things- order that for you. Uh, yes, I, this was all shit that I have eaten, except the mac and cheese. Um, this is the reason I picked this shit, because I think the girl I was dating with at the time, like, legit hated me and was just trying to feed me things that I would just throw up instantly. But yes, we. Uh, she seemed to really enjoy the Happy Joe's special. She ate it, no, like, more no, than one no. piece. And I was just like, what's wrong with you? No. But I took, like, a bite of it. It's like, oh, no, I can't do this anymore. We got to order separate pizzas, because you're crazy. Yeah, I, I would have to try it, but I... I can tell you now, knowing that it has Thousand Island dressing all over it, I would probably not enjoy that. What's it'd be like eating a Big Mac pizza? Not into it. Oh, it was it was bad. It was, but apparently it's a thing for some people. If you guys love that, if that, any of that shit sounds good to you, more power to you. I wish I could like stuff like that, but I'm I, like I said, I'm I'm the most most boring pizza person ever. So uh, sorry to disappoint. But anyway, that is going to do it for questions this time. Thanks everyone for actually writing in letting us know your questions and your odd pizza questions or suggestions. Uh, please do so at retrovania.net. You can scroll all the way down to the bottom. The contact form is there. Sometimes the actual website is updated. I can't promise it <laughs> that it will be, but the contact form is always there. Write, write us whatever you want, send it in, and we will probably read it on this podcast that's called Retro- Retrovania. Now, I have not been announcing the games ahead of time because... Generally, we don't know if we have some scheduling problems or whatever. You don't want to promise something you're not going to deliver. However, we know 
that October is already booked. It's going to be all horror games. It's Halloween month. we got to do it. We've done it every year. This makes our sixth Halloween, I believe. we got a lot planned. So we've got one more main episode. Unfortunately, in October, the only game I can see as knocking Psychonauts 2 off my list of Game of the Year is coming out with Metroid Dread. So we're going to take a look at one of the earlier Metroid titles that we have not covered before for our next main episode in two weeks. So if you're interested in Metroid at all, this is going to be the episode to listen to. And if you aren't interested in Metroid, maybe we can change your mind with our next episode. But until then, find everything Retrovania on Retrovania.net. Again, all our social media, links to our Twitch, our Twitter page, our Discord channel, which is always a lot of fun. And we will see you next time.